All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's Very things? good, yeah. Very excited for this one, Albert. We've obviously got a special guest on, which, um, yeah, um, well, just a real pleasure to finally chat to him in person and uh, and get to meet the man. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited to chat to Matthew Marshall from uh, Portugal.net. Yeah, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Matthew Marshall, Portugal.net's very own. Uh, I saw in your Twitter bio, self-confessed footy addict, which I think just about sums it up. Uh, if you don't believe us, um, I saw on your Twitter that, did you say you went to 176 games last season alone? Uh, Premier League of Football, Portuguese Cups, International Football? Um, 195, 195. That was including Qatar and, and some of those international tournaments. But yeah, from, from July to July, it was 195. So it's not going to happen again this season, <laughs> I guarantee you that. But <laughs> I went about as hard as you could possibly go and yeah, in the memory now. But I certainly had a great time doing it and learned a lot about football, not only in Portugal, but yeah, on the international stage too. Yeah, I mean, it was really, it wasn't just an incredible effort just to follow what you were what you were doing. Even just on Twitter was amazing. You know, multiple games every week, all up and down the country, every single city, different leagues, not just Premier League. You know, it's such a such an obvious question, but you know, what what drives you to do it? You know, what what keeps you going on those on those weekends when you're on your on your third game? Well, I just love football. Um... I love Portugal as well, so a lot of these stadiums, it just takes me to a different part of Portugal, different town, different part of the history, um, or somewhere I might have been, but I get to visit again with a different perspective, so, you know, I get to do, it's not just a football game, it's just the excitement of going to a new stadium in a different place, um, but just the family feel of the lower division games, as you would have in England, you know, um, that family atmosphere and the players' connection to, to, the, to the fans. Um, just such a, a huge change from your, your Dragão and your Luz, or, where it's just you know fifty thousand people, and there is a disconnect there between the fans and and the players. So it's just good to have that variety. You know what I mean? Just to mix it up. I got to keep it interesting. You know, I have to keep it interesting and fun for myself, and that's the way I do that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I'll, I can definitely attest to that. And anyone who's thinking of doing any kind of footballing holiday always recommend trying to find a smaller team a local team because that's where you're going to find the most interesting stuff all the kind of uh drama of everyday life you find in those games so uh i totally understand that well this week we are going to be talking about all these primera liga we're going to be touching on all the big games from this weekend including of course um the classico which i think was where we, where we should start matthew i believe you were at the game at the estadio de Luz. Um, biggest game of the season so far, of course. First Clasico of the season. Um, it ended 1-0 to Benfica. Uh, a first half red card for Fabio Cardoso saw Porto reduced to 10 men. As is often the case with these big games, it wasn't a game necessarily full of quality, um, but it was no less packed with drama uh, and a healthy dose of controversy as well. Porto, I thought, started the better team, but that red card proved to be a bit of a game changer. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the game, someone who was there firsthand. Yeah, as you say, Porto were looking pretty good. They were overloading down the left side, basically had Pepequino and Galeno. And I was saying to Tom, I thought the reason for that was they knew that Alcinas is just not much of a threat down that left side. Yeah, that's probably his, his most weak position left back. So I think they sort of realised that and they sort of overloaded down the left side. They had a bit of joy there, but yeah, once they lost Cardozo, and then Cardamo got close to getting sent off too, um, and you knew it was going to be pretty tough from then on. And then Di Maria, I mean, I think I mentioned in the in the, my Super Cup report that you know, he was going to be unstoppable this season, and no surprise that he pops up with the winner, and Benfica take the three points and take the bragging rights for a little while. But as a, as a spectacle, it wasn't very exciting. Um, I was pretty disappointed because uh, Romário Baró, a guy who I followed a lot in the Portuguese youth teams, who's kind of he's had a real tough time, and he got his first start for I don't know how long years, and he was the guy sacrificed when Cardoso got sent off. But um, yeah, not really much to add a, a, as a as a spectacle. I think most people, I mean, you summed it up. I mean, it was just more drama than actual exciting football. I think, but um, yeah. 
advantage Benfica <laughs> at this early stage. I mean, Romario Barrow is so unlucky at this point. I, th- I feel like it wasn't that long ago when I, I can't remember who it was against, but he started a game and got injured and had to come off early. I, I, I'm pretty sure he's been taken off because someone else got red carded before as well. So that you know, poor guy can't catch a break. I thought he was playing really well when when he started the game, and he must have been so gutted to to lose that opportunity. Barney, I'll come to you, obviously. I'll be interested to hear from you afterwards, Matthew, actually. But the, the atmosphere, because we were experiencing the game in two very different ways. You know, we're sitting at home watching the game on the computer, following along on Twitter. When that red card happened, it was one of the most sort of controversial decisions that has happened all season. Um, I think I made my feelings fairly well known online. I wasn't I wasn't really in line with the decision that the ref made. Barney, I'm interested what you what you thought of that. It's obvious. A very contentious decision. I think the thing that for me was is the way it, it came about. I'd always feel be- feel better if it was if he'd given a yellow and then it got upgraded to a red foot through VAR. I think the fact that he went straight for a red. Obviously, it's very far away from goal, so there's a lot of ground to be made up. Um, there is is perhaps fortunate or very skillful in the fact that he gets that sort of touch to continue in the sort of continues in his path towards towards goal. Um, and then obviously Kodos's legs comes up and stops him from continuing. It's just a, it's just a huge decision. It just feels like, we, 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 as Matthew alluded to, we, we really wanted a spectacle of football for this game. You know, this is as always these games are built up to be the the biggest games of the season, and it just feels like once again we're seeing a game dictated by the, a referee's call or decision. I don't feel as outrageous you did, perhaps Albert, but I I, I do understand. I can sort of see where the red came from. It just. Yeah, it just didn't feel right that this game was suddenly completely changed and we had we had to deal with it. I think a lot of my outrage comes from the fact that, you know, as as a amateur player, I, I am a defender, so I always seem to uh, fall on the side of defenders. Um, Matthew, you obviously watch a lot of games in the stadium as they happen. Um, I'm interested in, one, how the kind of the decision was received, obviously not by Benfica fans, because I'd be very happy, but in the kind of the media section amongst other people, how the how the decision was received but also it's it's kind of a, a wider question about refereeing in general in this league and 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 how often we see big refereeing calls and, and controversial refereeing calls have an impact on games and whether you know there's perhaps atmospheres in stadiums which can contribute to that or whether you know these referees are playing under extreme pressure or whatever you think it might be but whether you know amongst the games that you've seen over the years whether you think refereeing does even have a problem or if it's just uh something a lot of people online like to talk about. Very rarely, rarely do I go into decisions like that, controversial decisions. You'll probably notice from my match reports, I don't spend much time on them at all. Um, but, I mean, we could, I could talk a long time about this, so I'll try and make it brief. Um, I think you'll probably find that they generally favour the big teams more, especially in the bigger stadiums. Um, you'll also... And it's also a lot different for me because in a lot of stadiums I have zero replays um, until you know a few minutes after the match, depending on what, what it is. But at Benfica you've got these big screens in front of you, so I could watch it multiple times. And like Barney was saying, I mean you could kind of view it many different ways. Was the guy coming across going to get there in time? Did Nedej kind of dive anyway? Um, did Cardozo lift his foot up to sort of take him out? Um, you know, it's just a bit of it's subjective, I guess. But, I mean, what I remember from it is that, um, obviously, you know, the, the, the people on the Porto bench going ballistic. I remember seeing that, maybe you saw this on the TV, where Conceição and, and, and some of the, the players, whatever, were looking at the, the monitor there in their dugout. And then they'd obviously seen something that was like, uh, you know, proof that it shouldn't have been a red card. So they run out and na 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 and... Honestly, more than the actual decision, um, and if it was a good or bad or right or wrong decision, I, I mainly look at it from a reaction from the coaches and, and the pressure they're trying to instill on the, on the, on the officials. That's mainly what I'm, I'm looking for when I'm in stadiums. That's what interests me more than was it a red or was it not. Um, so, I mean, and again, it was really no surprise the, the length of time it took for, from, for Cardoso to accept the decision and, 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 the, and the way that Porto insisted on, 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 you know, on the fact that it wasn't a red card. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I could, I could keep talking for ages about that sort of stuff, but I don't want to sort of go on and on. So, I was just going to say, it was and sort of feeding off that, um, uh, Pepe, the, the 
Porto centre-back posting on Twitter a picture of a circus afterwards, just sort of fueling that. And it's like, it's, I don't know, I think, I don't know if we're all in agreement, but I don't, it just adds fuel to this fire of the, like, the whole refereeing standard in this league. It just doesn't help things. And I think Matthew's right to highlight the sort of the reaction from benches and the the coaches and the and the and the staff, you know, who are responsible for these clubs and and how they just create this whole raucous around these refereeing decisions. It's yeah, it just it doesn't doesn't sit well. Yeah, the pressure the, the pressure applied on on the officials starts before the match. You know, there's a lot of uh, st- um, time and, and effort um, by the media. Who's the referee for this game? You know, where's he from? And there's so much discussion about who the referee is before these big games that they, they build it up to a point where it's uh, it's inescapable. And then, of course, once you have these decisions happen, um, and, then, and then obviously the big clubs, they, they just sort of fuel the fire and, they, and then their fans buy into it. And um, yeah, it becomes a huge talking point. And after every game in Portugal, they're talking about it for hours and hours and hours. And you can imagine when there's decisions like this, um, that's a that's a huge part of their discussion, uh, but it doesn't matter what happens in the game. They still have to find something to talk about, and generally, that, generally that'll always obviously be something around controversy. And if there's no no controversy, they'll just invent controversy. So, yeah, I see it as a bit of a spectacle and, and a bit of a game, um, more than the actual was it a red card? Because at the end of the day, he gave a red card and Cardozo's off. So. I don't see the point in really discussing it that much further. Um, you know, it is what it is. It happened. It does seem that whether this is a recent thing or not, that kind of discussions about refereeing, not just in Portugal, but obviously we saw big examples in the Premier League as well this weekend. And it's just, it is becoming quite a, a toxic situation, which I don't think anyone quite has the answers for. Um, obviously, as I alluded to, I think um, general consensus was that Porto were pretty much the better team in the first half of this game. I know going into the match, uh, Benfica were arguably the better team on current form, but you can never never rule out a team managed by Sergio Conceição in a big derby, and, and they really flew out of the traps in this game. I thought they were more more dangerous, more aggressive. Uh, they pressed Benfica really well. Um, despite that, they weren't able to get a goal in the first half, and, and once they did get the player sent off, Benfica were able to capitalise. Um, Matthew, I'm interested, I'm interested in your thoughts on Porto just overall this season, because they have started the season, in my opinion, quite weakly. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that. They do seem to have quite a lot of issues, especially defensively. Um, do you think a result like this, which was, let's face it, an opportunity if they were to win the game to really kick off their season and galvanise the group, um, do you think they 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 will regroup after this or do you think it could be another setback for them? No, I mean, Conte Sal will use this as a rallying point. You know what I mean? He'll say... What he always does in these situations, they're all against us. Um, the officials, the whole league, you know, they're all against us. That's 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 what he does, and it's it's much easier for him up north because in Porto, you know, you you know, Lisbon is the powerhouse, always has been, and Benfica are part of that sporting also to a lesser extent. So, uh, you know, he'll he'll use it as more again fuel for the fire in that sort of in that sort of respects, but. I mean, there's no doubt that they're, they're not as strong. I mean, losing Otavio was just massive. You just can't underestimate how important he was. And he was like like Conceição's um, mentality on the pitch, you know what I mean? He was like the mini-me of Conceição. So, um, and I mentioned when I was in Milan how Conceição made a huge mistake by leaving him on the pitch in that game when he was... You know, never going to get to the end of the game. He got sent off, and then he suspended for the second leg. So, you know, his relationship with Otavio, he was such a key player. Now it's kind of Galeno, um, but we still don't really know how their new signings are going to go. Nico Gonzalez and Varela in midfield. I always liked uh, Hamer. I'm not sure how much game time he's got. He's more of a luxury player, a bit, bit like, you know, he's pretty bit of a high risk player. But if you can get the best out of him, then that'll That'll be a really good thing for, for Porto. So, I mean, yeah, losing Otavia was, was just massive. And obviously they haven't got anyone else like him. So um, that's my main concern with Porto. And, of course, you know, how many late goals have they scored this year? You know, coming back to, to score late goals against teams, you know, that they should really be beating. So no doubt they're weaker than last season. But 
Yeah, they'll still be good enough probably to beat both of the teams in Portugal. So I'm interested to see how they go in the Champions League because they always seem to sort of punch above their weight in their competition. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, Barcelona's coming up, so that'll be a good test. I thought it was interesting that um, Ivan Jamie didn't make the, the 11, considering how well he's played um, since he's broken into the team. But I think, um, as sort of Matthew alluded to, like it was... A, tactical decision to put Galeno and Pepe on that left-hand side to sort of attack a bar, which I think did a, well, from the start of the game, did seem to play out. And I think Matthew's absolutely right with the how weak they are, Porto, in their squad. We saw that with the fact that um, to cover the defensive um, departure of Cardoso, Z Pedro came on for um, Porto, a B-team player, although quite a strange B-team player because of the fact that he's 26 years old and never played the top tier. But that just sort of highlights the sort of what Cardoso's working around, particularly at the back. I, I, I've been talking a lot about Taremi this season. I think when you have when he's the only out and out strike on the pitch, that was going to be interesting to see if he could have done something. This perhaps was his big moment to to do that. But I don't know. I feel like considering the start to Porto's season and how, despite playing quite averagely and poorly uh, for most of the games, they've still got quite a significant points tally. Personally, I feel that this is quite a moment with Benfica uh, getting this win. Uh, I think for Benfica needed this, needed this as well because they, they haven't quite been a, a perfect yet. So uh, this is, um, yeah, I think the result's quite interesting. I'm quite curious to see how they, they, they both teams play going forward now. Yeah, it was obviously a big win for Benfica. They didn't get off to the best start in this game, which was disappointing for me because I would have liked to see them get off to you know a strong start in, in an important game but they were quite underwhelming obviously they did get their act together towards the end of the game they took advantage of having their extra man Angel Di Maria stepped up when he was asked to and got that important goal the thing that interested me was that um, it was the youngster Joao Neves who was awarded man of the match at the end of the game I mean a player that I've loved watching so many times this season I did think again that he was very impressive in midfield you know a 19 year old uh, young man who who plays um, so fearlessly, which is what I always think when I look at him. He never looks out of place uh, in a team of, of of much older players. He never looks phased. He might be small in stature, but he's not afraid of getting stuck in. Um, so yeah, a player that I really like who who won man of the match. He's keeping some more senior players on the bench. Um, was that the same impression in the stadium watching Joao Neves? Did he come across as a as a key performer in that game, Matthew? Well, I was uh, quite fortunate to get Jarrell Neves one-on-one and talk to him in uh, in Georgia at the under-21 Euros. So, you know, I got a, a pretty good um, pretty good idea of who he is, and uh, he's he's a, he's a, he's got his head screwed on. He's got he comes from what appears to be a very sensible and smart family. You can see his, his parents are, are switched on and have brought him up very well. And yeah, I mean. It's almost just the way he, he he wears his kit, you know. I'm not I'm not I, I can't I'm not a fan of these low socks. Um, it's just disrespectful to the game in a way. Um, and people obviously might laugh at that and think it think it's insignificant, but it's just a you know it's just a like a pride thing. And um, yeah, just the way he carries himself, uh, the way he he moves on the pitch. Um, his selflessness, um, he's got all the attributes to go all the way to the top, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Really exciting young player to watch. Um, all right, well, let's move on to talk about another game. Um, and I think let's go all the way back to Thursday night and uncharacteristically early kickoff for Premier League. I talk about Estrella versus Braga. Um, a game which started very smoothly for Braga, as they would have hoped. They went into a 3-0 lead courtesy of a hat-trick from Spanish winger Alvaro Jallo. But they let Estrella D'Amadora back into the game. They scored two goals. They gave themselves hope of a bit of a comeback um, before Braga killed off the game with a fourth goal to put, to put the result beyond any reasonable doubt. Um, in my opinion, this feels like a game which kind of sums up where, where both teams are at the moment. You know, on the one hand, you have Braga, uh, very good going forward, always look like creating chances on, on every attack but still with defensive weaknesses that you know perhaps we, we don't expect from them. And Estrella, a team who I think have looked quite promising at times this season. They've played some good football, but they seem to lack something in front of goal, which means they often don't take their chances. Um, this was another game that you were at, I believe, Matthew. So, yeah, what did you think of it? 
Yeah, exciting. It's it's interesting to see Jalot break into the team. I mean, I remember watching him, Carvalho, kind of brought him in, and it's taken him quite a long time to, to what looks like now, establish himself in the first team. So really great. I mean, he's taking free kicks. Um, yeah, he's got a quite a lot of responsibility, so that's great. Um, but yeah, it was a really exciting game. It's a it's a cool cool stadium there, interesting part of of Lisbon, and yeah, they really should have closed it out. But Braga this season, they just cannot keep clean sheets, and they're just conceding so many goals, and that's got to be worrying for Artur Jorge. Um, and as you say, I mean, <laughs> your analysis of a of a daughter, you could you could you know copy and paste that for uh, you know more than ten teams. You know where they just can't take their chances really when they they just don't have that quality to get or you know consistently take their chances. So yeah, they came really close. And I mean, was it uh, Endor the, the striker off the bench he had a glorious chance there, like to, to even it up. Um, and that would have brought the house down. That would have been really incredible. But no, really exciting game. Um, I haven't really seen much of Amador to be honest. I, I can't think of. I thought Ronald kind of looked okay um, live. Um, Gaspar, the centre back, looked okay, um, but I think mean, John Philippe. I remember seeing him before, and he was really good off the bench. Uh, I would expect him to be a starter. Yeah, Amador, pretty average, and Braga just can't keep clean sheets. But um, good to see Banzo. He just keeps scoring, and I was surprised that Luis took so much, you know, starting time off him last season, but. Good to see him getting more minutes and, and scoring goals. So I think he's a really excellent player. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I think um, since Banzer's had his extended run in the team in the last few games, you can see like a, back to his sort of goal-scoring best of when he was at... Um, it was Family Cow, wasn't it? Um, uh, at Family Cow. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting uh, development to this team. I think also George seems to be sticking with well, which is good. Um Obviously, the defensive errors. Yeah, we've. I think we've. Uh, we've talked a lot about that recently. I think it was interesting that Sarchi got the start again alongside Nia Kata. I, did, I was quite happy for him to get, to get that opportunity. But um, yeah, he didn't have the best of games. Let's just say. But uh, yeah, that, that that's still an error that they just really need to sort out quickly as well. Yeah, I mean, Jose Font, with all due respect. I mean, I just don't know why they went in that direction. You know, it seems to go against all of their recent transfer-type policies. And, yeah, as I said, he's been really... Well, when I've seen him, he's been... That, that game on TV, when was that against the Champions, or Champions League, wasn't it? Where he just passed the ball straight to Osman. I mean, I mean, boring on disaster, that game. No surprise he got dropped. And... Um, I would expect Sancho to continue there with um, Nia Kata. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting situation how Serdar Sarchi has almost found himself very quickly to be Braga's best best defender because, you know, last season, defensively, they weren't amazing, but Nia Kata, what I thought was a bit of a revelation and put in some really good performances. And even if you played with the likes of Tormena, I thought Tormena played pretty well. And then when you sign a player like Jose Font, I mean, even just on paper, it's hard to hard to imagine anything other than at least him coming in and for primarily standard being quite solid but you know Nyakate is not quite being himself tormain has gone Jose Font isn't the player that he used to be and so you know it's 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 pleasing that this this young Turkish center back has uh um has yeah has has, has made a name for himself so far you know you were talking about Alvaro Jalo playing well as well he you know he's another player who's stepped up this season which has been really pleasing he wasn't a consistent starter last year but I think it's fair to say he's made himself undroppable. Um, this for early part of the season, the goals he's been scoring, arguably Braga's most informed player. Um, Matthew, one thing me and Barney have spoken so much about this season was um, what a good summer Braga had, bringing in good players and, and assembling this exciting squad. Um, do you think Braga are in a better place this year uh, than they were last season? Because... That's kind of what we expected to happen, but there are still some things not quite clicking, like that defence, which has still seen them concede a lot of goals. Yeah, I mean, I think that central defence is is the most worrying thing for me. I think Vitor Tormena was underrated by almost everybody. I'm not, I'm not really sure why. I've asked some people I know, and they haven't really come up with an answer. Um, I'd much rather have Vitor Tormena than Jose Font. Um, but 
it's hard to say. I, I don't think the squad is that much different overall, you know what I mean? Um, but like anything, they, they're kind of predictable now. You kind of know what they're going to do. Pretty much that 4-2-3-1 almost all the time. Um, I always liked Vitor Carvalho and Gilbert Sant. Zalazar was a guy I wasn't psyched on, you know, but he's been really strong last two games. You know, not just a holding midfield, he's been driving forward. Some of his through balls have just been fantastic. So, you know, that confidence he's gaining from being a starter looks like it's really doing him a lot of benefit. So I'd expect to see a lot more from him. But there's a lot of competition for places. I mean, if you look what's happening now, even Andre Horta can't get near the starting side. You know, Pizzi got his chance but wasn't great in Amadora, so he'll probably drop back out again. Joao Moutinho, yeah, I remember he, I watched him when he got his first start in Faro. Mm, you know, I mean, he's still got a lot of class, but it's almost like they got too many players in certain positions, and I'm not sure how Arthur George is going to kind of work that. Uh, Ronnie Lopes, I'm not sure exactly why they brought him in, just a, an extra sort of squad player. So, I mean, I think it's pretty much the same. And like you say, the main issues is just defensively. They, they have to tighten up soon. I mean, I don't think they've got any chance of finishing in the top three. So you'd have to say, from that perspective, it's a regression. Uh, Barney, lastly then, just a word on Estrella. They not quite put the points on the board this season to back up some promising-ish performances. They can, you know, keep looking back on games like this where they get two goals and almost make a comeback. Um, but until they start really putting points on the table, it, you can't get too excited about a team like Estrella. Yeah, well, they did that. They had a really good defensive display against Porto a few weeks back where they... Um, which quite unfortunate to lose that 1-0. Um, it wasn't quite as strong uh, in this game. Um, I've, I, I, from what I've seen, I, I quite like Sergio Vieira from, from what he, the way he talks and uh, his sort of um, the head he's got on his shoulders. He just seems to be quite a, an interesting character. And I'm hoping, I was sort of hoping that they could build in that portal performance and sort of, I don't know, it show a bit more of a backbone, I guess, but this is not how this game panned out. I'm glad Matthew... Um, enjoyed watching Ronald play in the fresh because he's a player that I've really enjoyed watching on TV. I think he's a, he's got a bright future. Um, and obviously with him and the team, you, you might get, you're going to get goals. You might get chances. So yeah, it, it um, with, as always, it will come down to the results against the, the teams around them in the table. And um, the, yeah, I think the, we've been talking a, a lot about them like this for a while. And that, as you did, it's points that are going to become more and more important so that's what will need to happen going forward for them mm, absolutely all right well let's do another game and head down to the Algarve where uh Sporting played Ferenz now last week myself and Barney were talking about Sporting as possibly the most impressive team in the league so far this season off the back of possibly their best performance of the season so far against Morins um this week however they were almost caught out by Ferenz in a game where Sporting went 2-0 ahead uh, against 10-man friends, but um, friends scored two wonderful free kicks to get it back to 2-2 and Sporting relied on a late penalty uh, to get all three points. Um, a lot of Sporting fans very unhappy after this game or at the performance, um, but I think, I have to say, I thought Sporting still played pretty well, all things considered. Not every game is going to go exactly how you want it to. You're going to have to face... Uh, things that you don't expect, such as a player just stepping up and scoring two world-class free kicks. Um, I think Sporting still played well throughout the game, still fought pretty hard uh, and made lots of good chances. Um, Matthew, one big part of Sporting this season has been the sign of Victor Jokeres in playing with uh, Paulinho, Marcus Edwards, Potts. Just an easy one. How, easy, how much of an impact do you think he's, he's made to Sporting so far and, and will continue to make this season? Yeah, heaps. I mean, I was really impressed. I, I saw him pretty early on. I think when I went up to Casapia, um, I went Casapia home match and Adio Mayorda. And yeah, I mean, really, really impressive the way he can drift out wide and bring other players into play. Very intelligent player, strong, big, fast. So, got all the attributes. And yeah, he's going to be a huge player for them. Really, really fantastic signing. And, you know, a couple of key signings here and there is really the difference between a good and a bad window for a lot of these clubs. And, you know, Sporting have done really well with just a couple this, this season. Hulman, obviously, um, you know, the other one. And, of course, the players they keep selling just keeps adding up. 
So um, you know they have to they have to they have to get it right in the transfer market, and it looks like they've done that. And of course, that's that's allowed um, Amorim to get the most out of Paulinho, you know, because a lot of Paulinho's um, success this season has become has, has sorry has uh, has come because of, of the movement of Gelkadesh, I would say. So. They're really impressive from Sporting, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win the league. To be honest, if they can, you know, keep most of their key players fit, and um, well, yeah, if they can keep most of their players fit, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the league. They just have to obviously get the job done in 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 the Clasicos, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win the league at all. Absolutely, and um, Barney, one. You know, Matthew, you talk about um, getting it right in the transfer market. One thing that perhaps they didn't do this summer, Barney, was sign a, a new goalkeeper. Perhaps was a position that that sporting fans had been been crying out for. Um, the one thing I did see online a lot was sporting fans quite unhappy with how Antonio then dealt with the two free kicks. I have to say, I think I fall down more on the side of defence where. I think uh, it was just two great strikes from Matthews Oliveira, of course, a former sporting player himself. I'm not sure he ever scored a free kick like that for sporting, but he scores two in one game against them. Um, I do I do, I do, do sympathise with that a little bit in this game. Um, he could have perhaps done better with the first one, but the second one particularly, I thought very few goalkeepers in the league would, would save those. No, I thought they were absolutely fantastic free kicks. It was brilliant. And I don't know how much more Adnan could have done. I don't know if he... Like, yeah, I just thought that I was just enjoying the enjoying the, the ridiculous goals. I just wanted to quickly go back to what uh, Matthew's talking about about Jokers and um, Paulinho because I to sort of build on that. It's just the way Amarin's managed them both as well. I think it's for me. It feels like a really healthy amount of competition. You know, he, he has he has given Paulinho that start ahead of Jokers once. Um, he's obviously played them together as well. And as Matthew said, the, the I think they can combine really well. It's it's. It's really nice for Sporting to have that because it felt like the whole of last year we were talking about what three wingers is he going to play in those front three attacking roles, right? And and, and now we've got this these two strikers like Paulinho back to his best when he's when he's been on it, and Jokers as well is just absolutely deadly. Um, and I completely agree with Matthew when he says they could be up there for the lead because uh, yeah, that their their attack is is absolutely brilliant. Um, I I, I think. I quite like the defense genuinely. I think this game was pretty bad for them in terms of. I know the freakers good, but it didn't feel like they had a complete hold over this game. It was probably like quite a, it was quite a poor performance, really. But once again, it's something we've talked about a little bit already: is the fact that Sporting is still getting results. There's there's something there this season that feels like they're they've got momentum, they've got things going for them. So um, yeah, I, I think it a really important three points. And, I'll just back up what you say with that, Dan. I mean, I don't know how many times last season, you know, just Howler and uh, I really, again, being respectful, but I, I don't really know why they didn't go and try and find someone younger and better in that position, which is, is a pretty key position, especially in some of the bigger games. So I just wanted to just to, to add that before you move on. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, I wonder whether it was a case of in the transfer market, Amarin being told, you know, we've got enough budget left for for this position or another position, and in the end, he. Uh, I can totally understand that Amarin would um, uh, definitely commit to Antonio Adan as, as one of his senior players. Um, I did have I did have it written down to ask you both whether you thought Sporting were title contenders this season, but you've both offered your opinions. Uh, already, which I appreciate. I think I totally agree with what both of you said, though. For me, you know, last season we saw a sporting side who were just a step off Porto and Benfica in terms of quality. They they were just lacking in one or two areas, and that meant they couldn't compete. I think the work they'd done in the transfer market with uh, Jerez, Hulmund, and uh, well, not that we've seen much of him, but Fresnade as well, I think smart signings, has just, you know, plugged a few of those holes that they had last season. and. And those one or two signings has, has really made a huge difference. And they, for me, I said it last week, they've been the most impressive team in the league this season. I think they deserve to be top of the table. And we're starting to see a bit of consistency in the 11s that Aaron's putting out, which we know he he does like to, to settle on. But it felt like, as I alluded to last year, that, that was it was very rare there was the same 11 put out. There were so many changes to that. So yeah, with that, that's that, um, that's really helping them as well. Um, just brief on friends out, but I... I was just quite impressed with how they played after going down to ten men. You know, they they, they did really really well um, to 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 get things close, and 
there's something about them this season that they just just so different to when they were last in the top division. It just I don't know. It just feels more to them. They feel a bit perhaps a bit more lucky, or things just been going right for them. It felt like last time when Ryan Gould was there, they were just just so unlucky, didn't they? But they, they I I don't know. I, I like Talosha's looking good this season. Um, I, I like, I've mentioned before. I like Lumi um, Matthias as well on the wing. There's, there's some good players there this year, and it feels like there's a bit more to them. Definitely, uh, Isadora is the midfielder I like. Uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. They've got a, a good little squad this year, and they're playing pretty well. It's really much a, a tale of home and away for them as well. And I was quite lucky. I, I saw their first two home games, uh, or the first three home games. I think the first one didn't go well, but then they smashed Charles five nil, and they got that three nil win against Braga. So. They're really the classic case of home and away. And um, I'm sure they're going to continue to be a real problem for teams down in the Algarve. Well, they're one of the few teams uh, with outside of the, of the Big Three which have uh, quite a big home following. And it's always uh, always enjoyable watching their games and seeing the atmosphere, especially this game, the atmosphere when uh, when they were coming back and, and almost got that comeback against Spoil. It was uh, really exciting. Um, I want to try and touch on a couple more games before we finish. Um, and I think let's talk about Boavista versus family Cal Bovista, of course, one of the most talked about teams so far this season. Um, possibly game of the week for me, this one. I thought it was a really interesting game worth keeping an eye on for how Bovista would bounce back from that defeat against Braga. They uh, obviously had a tough task in placing family Cal themselves, who've done well this season. Um, Bovista, I thought, started the game brightly. Did well to come from behind to lead 2-1, but obviously it was a late goal from Justin Dahars who equalised for Family Cow uh, and saw the point shared. Both teams had players sent off uh, in what I thought was uh, an excellent game, but probably worth a draw in the end. I'll come on to you first, Barney. Um, what did you make of this one? I was really interested in this game. I think we've we've talked a lot about Bovis this season and, and how well they've done, but we haven't talked as much about Family Cow. And then they've been quietly going, having a, a really good start to the season. It's nice, nice you mentioned Hasta, the centre back who who got the goal, and, and it was really good. His um, centre back part of Tavi as well. Just well, and, and then Lucas Mora, um, not Lucas Mora, sorry, Fran- is it Francisco Mora? Francisco Mora, left back. That's a really good back line. You know, Moro offers going forward and back. And I think uh, Otavio, since he's arrived in the league, has, has looked like a really good um, good young centre-back. I think he's only 21 years old and Hass is young as well. Um, so they just, yeah, they, they just seem to be improving, improving from last season. Um, when I saw Shaquinho got a red card, it, for some reason I thought that was the Benfica Shaquinho, but then I remember that it was the... The Wolves winger who, uh, who Wolves had signed for Mestre, so he had an interesting game as well. As he hit the bar and then got his 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 red card. Um, it was just a great matchup, Albert. I think uh, these are these are two really interesting teams. I think part of me's leaning towards Bovista potentially not doing as well as they had at the start of the season uh, as as time goes on. But Family Cow look like uh, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of talent there, a lot of young players and a lot of new signings who look exciting but not quite unearthed yet and 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 a lot of uh, players who've been there for a little while who are, who are just looking better about Yusuf in particular in the midfield is one of my favourite players in this league and yeah good point for Family Cal um, Matthew Bovist obviously f- flew into this season um, they were riding the top of the table until just a couple of games ago um, it's it's such an interesting club to, to follow because they seem to always have the shadow of financial trouble hanging over them you know even this week alone we saw they had to cancel two training sessions because um unpaid wages for for medical staff or for stadium staff and yet on the pitch they continue to put in good performances perhaps last season was a bit unremarkable but they were never really part of a relegation battle and this season again they had a a transfer embargo which meant they were unable to sign any players and yet still they put in great performances um from what you've seen in the season, what do you make of them? How much of how much of their success is down to the manager as well, Petit, that, that experienced manager who's who's seen it all and and is able to steer them through on the pitch at these troubled times. Yeah, I think he has to take all the credit for the success they've having early this season. To be fair, I haven't I haven't seen them live this season. I don't think I've even seen much of them on TV. But the squad hasn't really changed, as you say, because they haven't been able to to sign anyone. And um, again, I was just looking through the, the players, and of course, you know, Mangash was, was a really important player for them last season. NG, top scorer. I always, always enjoyed watching Kenji Gode as well. 
So, you know, three of their better players all left. So, yeah, you have to give Petit a lot of credit. I don't know how long they can keep it going, but it's great to, to see them doing well. It's a bit of a bizarre stadium when you go there, you know, <laughs> when you go there and, and, and they're playing Benfica, is a big difference to when they're playing, I don't know, Shards or something. But, yeah, they have zero chance of getting even close to, to filling their stadium. So it's a bit of a bizarre experience from that point of view. But it does show you, you know, just how limited they are in terms of, I guess, supporter base and, and budget and things like that. So, yeah, it's great to see them doing so well, but I'm not sure quite how long they can sustain it. But the longer they can, the better it is for Portuguese football. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone expects them to uh, be title challengers sort of come the last few games of the season. But definitely pleasing to see them get off to a good start and and hopefully they can keep that positive momentum um, momentum going. All right, let's do, let's do one more game because I think there's so many good games this weekend. We're going to have to miss a few out that were fantastic games. But the one that I do really want to talk about um, Victoria versus Estoril, um, another dramatic game, but another game with a decent amount of, of, of controversy, it's fair to say. Estoril under new manager Vasco Siabra got off to the dream start, really. Two goals inside 20 minutes. Um, fantastic start to the game. The atmosphere at the Estadio Dom Afonso Enriquez was uh, interesting to say the least. Um, I'm not sure there's a more sinister sound in football than uh, when a team with only when a stadium with only home fans and the team's losing and the the home fans are booing and whistling when the uh, away team scores. Very disconcerting sound, but I'm sure one that the Estoril players would have relished at that point. Unfortunately, um, a red card for Scotsman Jordan Holsgrove at the end of the first half proved to be a bit of a game changer. Vittorio mounted a second half comeback to win the game 3-2. Straight off the bat, Barney, I'm going to say I don't think it was a red card and I didn't think it was a penalty, which gave Vittoria their third goal. Um, I think the ref got both those wrong, but let's not dwell on that too much. What I will say is that I think Vittoria have looked pretty shaky in recent games under new manager Paolo Toro and this felt like a massive let-off for Vittoria. Yeah, I agree on both those points there, you met about the refereeing decisions for this. It was, um, yeah, they feel like Astral was that bit unlucky. Because look, I think they had a great start to the game. Um, very attacking lineup, uh, sort of with a three-four-three. A Tiago Rojo and a Rodrigo Gomes on either wing. Rodrigo Gomes, um, the winger on loan from Braga, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it, it, you know, this was I was I've been waiting for him to sort of to, t- to take this opportunity at Astro, and this looks like the first game he did that. He was just such a handful. Lovely assist for. Um, uh, the, the the first goal and then he he took his his his, his work really well as well, um, so yeah things were looking great for Esther at that point and you know their attacking players as we said several times a season were playing really well, um, and then that red card did change the game. I think it's really interesting with Vittoria, but uh, is it's just Paolo Tura. I remember researching when he when he got the Vittoria job just because I had very little knowledge about him, but it seemed to be. A manager who had his style and his formation, which was a four-two-three-one, um, but he seems to have kept with Moreno's three-three-five-two or you know, formation. That just I, I understand you've got to have some transitional period, but it also feels like you've got to put your input, uh, imprint your own sort of style on the team at some point. And when they were two-nil down, and, and and the red card came about, he then decided to make a few changes, switch the formation up. Um, bring Safiri on as well, like another striker, and just and they looked instantly better. Obviously, they had the man advantage, but still, it just felt like you know then the momentum shifted a little bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm on, I think we need to see a lot more from Palato. I think he needs to really shake things up because they, it was a bit of a let off getting the, the way Estro allowed them to get back into the game. Uh, and as you mentioned, a very fortunate penalty then, but Safiri did well to put it away and and get an important goal, which he's done a few times for them in the past. Matthew, I mentioned the. Um... The atmosphere at the Don uh, Afonso Enriques. Um, Victoria, a very difficult club to, for any manager, for any player, very demanding fan base. Um, they 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 want success. They want the team to always do better. Um, but they haven't really kicked on for, it feels like the last three three or four seasons even. You know, they've, they've always been hovering around seventh, sixth place. I haven't personally seen much improvement from them this season. Um, what do you think about Victoria? Do you think 
there's a there's another level that this that this team can get to. Well, to understand this club, you just have to understand the disastrous financial position they're in, um, and what it, what it's done to this club, and and, and what a long road it, it's going to be for them to get back anywhere near challenging for for top four. Um, the president, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, I think he's, he's a very smart guy and I think he's doing a great job, but it's going to take so much time because he inherited just a complete disaster. And if you just look at this season, I mean, Bamba and Amaro, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're two best players, both in, in, in that back three, gone. So, you know, it's very, very difficult for any manager. You know, Moreno obviously got out of there in a hurry. Uh, didn't think he could take the club any any further. So, you know, Tudor hasn't really inherited a, a great situation here and it's going to take a lot of time. So I would expect to see a whole lot more inconsistency with Guimaraes. But yeah, it's, it's such a brilliant part of Portugal. You know, it's such a unique place. You're not going to see any Benfica bars in Guimaraes like you do in you know, almost every other, you know, town and that in, in Portugal. Um, they're fiercely, fiercely independent. And it's great, and they deserve a whole lot better on the pitch, no doubt about it. So I'm looking forward to, I haven't been up there for a while, but I've got some friends up there, and I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say and you know, having, a, having another game in that stadium. And hopefully by then, um, you know, they're playing a bit more consistent football and getting more consistent results. Barney and Estoril, obviously, we're all keen to keep an eye on them under Vasco Ciabra. Um, we know this is a team that can attack. We were talking about it earlier. Um, they scored 14 goals this season, one of the best in the league, and yet they sit second bottom. I think that tells you everything you need to know about their problems so far. Seattle's going to need to bring in some defensive stability. However, they would have been very pleased with that first half. Two goals from two very good young players. Um, they have got a lot of young players on their books, very good young players. Um, and I think Seattle's job is going to be, can he harness uh, the ability that those young players have, couple that with um, some stability, and some security to try and shore up the defence and uh, uh, and stop leaking goals because, you know, they're scoring two or three goals a game and not getting any points. Yeah, I mean, uh, it feels like they're a very top-heavy team. You look at the talent they've got in their, the midfield and the, and the striking and the wingers, there's a lot there. There's lots of um, players to fight for places as well. But yeah, defensively, they've looked an absolute um, shambles this season and Siabra really needs to work on that. Uh, it would just be. I think it's just a question of him working out the system he wants to play, sticking with it, and and, and trying to build. I, there was a time where I quite rated um, Alvaro and Vital, the two young uh, centre backs, but uh, I, I think in, I haven't seen enough of them this season at all to sort of have much confidence. But yeah, uh, I, 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 this this is a real part of me that just loves loves the thrill of it. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I just, you know, what we had a lineup of Rodrigo Gomes, Rafik Gaitan, Hiroberto Tavares, and Cassiano. You know, these are all exciting attacking players that we've seen as Lee all playing together. Um, they even had uh, the Marquez on the bench, the, the sort of the their younger winger who's who had a great, a great start to the season as well to, to come into the team. So, yeah, it's a, it's. A, I think it's quite fun to watch Astral, but uh, <laughs> I can imagine their fans aren't so happy. Well, do you know what? It's, it's a team. Built by Alvaro Pacheco, isn't it? And, and you know, obviously, he had the summer window to to mould the team in, in his in his image, which he did. And now they've gone for Vasco Ciabra to try and solidify things. I have to say, Matthew, we were talking last week about when they got rid of Alvaro Pacheco. Like one thing that surprised me, I was surprised that he left, but I was left with the feeling that when you employ Alvaro Pacheco as manager, you expect a certain type of football. So I'm not sure quite what's happening that they didn't expect to be happening. Of course. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of Vasco Ciabra teams at this point. Um, whether you think he's he's the right man for the job, and perhaps what we can expect from Estoril going forward. Uh, I just remember Ciabra at Maritimo and talking to some people there. That was just before he got sacked, and um, yeah, everyone expected better from him. But I mean, I would just say this is just more of a sort of managerial merry-go-round with managers that are kind of the same. No real, no real difference. Um, and, you know, they just have to find a good situation that works for them. Um, I thought that Vizela getting rid of Pacheco was the, was the, the wrong move. And, uh, you know, it's just a 
a bad time to do that, and there wasn't really a whole lot of justification for it. Um, so again, we'll just have to have, wait and see what Siabeta does here. But I just wanted to touch on um, on Rodrigo Gomes because yeah, I mean I saw him come through under Carvalhal at Braga. I talked to Carvalhal a lot about him, and it's great. It's great to see him getting some you know consistent game time. And this just happens. I mean I mentioned Zalazar before. There's just so many players I've seen that have been, you know, they've never been able to nail down a starting spot. And as soon as they do, whether it's in this situation on loan, um, it just gives them that, that confidence that they've been needing. And they just they just start flying. And so, yeah, he, he's definitely a player to keep your eye on. And the other one you mentioned, uh, Joao Marx. Yeah, Tom and I saw him in that. Uh, that the Tacita Liga game really early on, and he was super impressive, and he, he continued that. So I'm not sure why he came off the bench here, but you know I wouldn't expect that to, to be happening for too long. But some interesting players, and you know <laughs> I get off, asked this question a lot about different managers, but you just you just have to wait and see. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think that's going to be about all we've got time for uh, for this episode. Before we go, we should say a big thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, for anyone who wants to follow what you're up to this season, you're on Twitter at Noobs Corp and uh, they can find your work on the Portugal.net website as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not doing anywhere near as much as I was last season, but yeah, if anyone's interested, obviously you can just follow my follow my travels on Twitter. Every game I go to is pretty much... Po- I don't really post any anything else. It's just, you know, I'm at this stadium, I'm at this game and then uh, something happened after the game. And uh, yeah, I like to throw in. I like to throw in a lot of you know Portuguese stuff as well, Portuguese history and things like that. So if that's what you like, then <laughs> come along for the ride. Well, I think it's uh, our audience is the, is the perfect one for that. And uh, you're definitely underplaying it a little bit. It's, uh, Matthew has a fascinating Twitter page about all his the clubs that he goes to, small clubs, big clubs, all over Portugal. But then, of course, for international tournaments and all over the world, it's, um, it's definitely fascinating. So thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us. Let's leave it there for today. Uh, of course, as always, if you've enjoyed listening, um, drop us a little review on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating on Spotify, share the show with your friends, all of that stuff. Um, but I just need to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. See you next week.